Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A huge thank you to Neon, our favorite New Zealand streaming service, for making this episode of Culture Vulture possible. Kia ora everybody and welcome back to Culture Vulture where Liv and I don't have a catchphrase for what we do every week. I'm realising as I'm saying, like I was going to say, where Liv and I break down the blah blah blahs of the blah blah blah. We really don't, do we? We, we sort of start it quite organically. Well, last week it started, I feel weird. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Do you feel weird now? Yeah. Always. Do you? I think always. Well, no, okay, me and Liv are drinking these drinks right now that um, are meant to clear our heads and low-key... They are, so... Yeah, I do feel clear, but... If we sound... I thought it was going to give me some sort of superpower, but it's not. Well, it's sort of giving me an energy boost. Anyway, that's beside the point. Today, Liv and I, the main event is the death or non-death of the rom-com. And we'll tell a wee anecdote, me and Liv, about going to see our latest rom-com that we've gone to see and all of our thoughts and what made us think, is the rom-com dead? Are there any good ones? What happened to them? Which I'm really excited for that chat, Liv. I'm excited as well. I think, yeah, There's the rom-com. Is it dead? Is it not? I don't really know. Neither do I. Do you, <laughs> so well, you've done the research, well, so yeah, yeah, yeah. you better tell well, us. Well, I kind of do. Anyway, it's very interesting. Stick around for that chat. Oh, definitely stick around for that chat. Also, naturally, we've got Naughty or Nice from going to be talking about Lizzo, Britney Spears, Amanda Bynes. It's quite a good Naughty or Nice this week. Quite light. We need some lightness to the world. But Liv... First of all, what describes your week? Okay, what describes my week is very close to what described my week last week. Do you remember what it, it was? No. Ah, uh, stormy weather? No, fuck. <laughs> no, that was a few weeks ago. Damn. Do you listen to me? <laughs> what the fuck was it? Signature Architectural shopping. Digest. Oh, yes. Architectural Digest. Right. Um. So this week's is Antiques Roadshow. Oh, God. Have you been watching it? No, not at oh. all, but that's... Describes my week. Pretty much all I did all weekend was go around flea markets and do secondhand shopping on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, but the thing is, were they antiques? Because antiques are a different no, breed. I, no, I know it's a different breed, but you know, you're looking. You're, you're looking, looking for antiques. You're always looking for those little uh, gold crests on the bottom that have you, you watched are, antiques from I've shop? never, like, my parents always had it on the background, but mm. I was so bored by it. Oh I was God. like, why the fuck would you watch it? But now I'm so interested, I'm even considering streaming it. No, it's actually really funny only when they think they've got a really good antique and then the person's like, this is fucking This nothing. is worth nothing. Oh. Probably everything that I bought, bought two different globes anyway. Oh, love that. That's all right. Love, and me and Liv, honestly, we're terrible at geography. So the globes, Liv bought me a globe for Christmas. <laughs> so between us, there's three globes. I'm on a sort of global rampage. And no anyway, idea. Yeah. Three globes, all the gear and no idea. No idea at all. But Lucy, what describes your week, duh? Well, okay, as I was writing this, uh, I realised that I've, already done what describes my week in a previous week as well. Okay. So, well, okay. My week this week is Rosé. And I think, did I do Rosé yes. or Rose or Rosie? One week. I think you said Rose and all of the connotations that come with it or like all of the kind of 
words that relate to that word. Yeah. Okay. Well, this week, rosé, again, rose, rosy, mm-hmm. all the adjacent roses, um, because my hair's pink again, but that's that's the least exciting part of why um, my week is rosé. I went to Wellington in the weekend and had some drinks before getting on my flight back to Tamaki Makoto. And the drink that I was drinking was rosé. And I didn't realise like how drunk I was until I got dropped at the airport and I thought that my flight was boarding at 7.45. Turns out my flight was leaving at 7.45. So I like got to the airport, like low-key drunk as a skunk, went and got Subway to try and sort of sober myself up. Then I haven't even gone through security. I hear the announcement like this flight to... Auckland boarding now and I'm like holy fuck and I think that I can't bring my subway through security so I like throw out a whole sub <laughs> that classic like rush that your panic. brain just goes out the window yes and I'm like oh my fucking god so then I'm in the line to go through security fun fact about me every time we go through security I beep every single time it causes me a lot of panic because I just beep every time Lucy's got a metal right. rod for a spine yeah well I must do that's why I'm so um, used it to carrying so everything on my so weird it's like why the fuck does that happen have you asked your parents it, well yeah and they're like I don't know and it's like not even just at airports it's at like one time I entered the beehive beep 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 like every time when I was travelling around Asia and stuff every time I'd have to go through something cross the borders or whatever beep 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 terrifying yeah terrifying so anyway I had to get into one of those like tube machines that like whirs around you and sees if there's something and you have to put your hands up and so I finally got into it and my hands were up and then like I just zoned out and I must have been standing in there for ages because the security guards started coming up to me like yoohoo like yoohoo you can get out and I was like Honestly, humiliating. It was humiliating. There was people like waiting to come through it and shit. And I was just like, oh my fucking God, like grabbed my laptop, grabbed everything. I get so flustered in airports, let alone I couldn't be drunk because I just like, you know, that thing where you put your bags through and whatever. I just can never like pick up all of my stuff and put it in the bag. I know. Same. That is the hardest thing in the world. And I like anticipate it. Same. It's so stressful. And I've left my passport behind before. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's honestly, it's fucked. Um, but anyway, then I was literally... The thing is with this is the drunkness calmed me down, whereas usually I'm a panicker. Okay, okay, okay. So, like, so maybe we should all have a bottle of rosé before we get on the flight. And your girl was just sort of chilling in the fucking security thing, forgetting that her flight was literally boarding, and then they called out, like, final call. There was people, like, running past me, and I was just chilling, not even realising it was my flight that was final call. Then I was pretty much the last one on the flight, but I was still just chilling, just mosing my way onto the flight, and uh, I did get home, so that was wonderful. And then uh, one last rosé story is I went to my friend's house to have a drink and a chat on Saturday night and I brought round some rosé and it turned out to be low alcohol rosé. But luckily <laughs> she had bought a rosé that was like a Harry brand because she loves Harry Styles and so we had, Oh really? So just, not Harry Styles brand but it said Harry on it. So we had a big rosé rose rosé sort of weekend. weekend. Um, do not fly drunk I should probably say. <laughs> probably just preface but you know you do you. Yeah you do you. Um, so that describes my week and shall we get into the naughty or nice? I think it's time. So my first story, Lizzo is launching a reality TV show. Now, this is actually fucking cool. Lizzo, we all know who she is. She doesn't really need an introduction. Um, She is about to drop a reality TV show called Watch Out for the Big Girls with a whole lot of R's and girls. 
girls. Girls. Um, so she's on the hunt for basically some like plus size dancers that look like her, represent people that aren't often represented on stage. I actually saw like months ago on TikTok, Lizzo has a huge TikTok presence, and she she was actually like, "Do we have any plus size?" plus size dancers out in the audience that are following me, like sort of teasing it, sort of recruiting, starting to look for people. And then it turns out she's doing this all for a reality TV show. So along with the trailer, she posted, this is the greatest moment of my career yet. Y'all know how hard it's been finding dancers that look like me. But if I got to get a TV show to get the world to see the value in us big girls, bitch, I'ma do it. Ready to laugh, (laughs) cry, twerk, repeat. And oh I just think God. this is fucking cool. Like, this is I'm sorry. fucking sick because I didn't know the context of her reality TV show. I was kind of like, what is Lizzo like, doing? Yeah, why is she having – and it's because she had trouble finding dancers yeah. that look like her. And she was like, fuck it. As, long, as well as getting them to dance on stage, we'll actually get them, like, platformed in another way. Representation like, in mainstream media yeah. is great. And I think it's fucking great. I mean, it's such – not to be a fucking cynic it's a shame that for people like Lizzo they constantly have to be the front runners the first ones doing this they Mm -hmm. have to take all the backlash with all the good shit one day it'll be normal um but I just think it's really nice that Lizzo is like taking that responsibility and running with it and platforming all these fucking amazing dancers. And I can't wait to watch. Same. I think will be. I think she'll be a great TV personality. Same and like mentor. And mm-hmm. I imagine how cool it would be going on a reality TV show with Lizzo. Oh One God. comment um, that I think sums it all up pretty well is someone who said. Well, I'm crying. The show I needed growing up. I wanted to dance so desperately, but no one allowed me to believe this was possible in my body. Thank you, Lizzo. And I'm just like, go off. So true. Go off. There'll be so many people thinking that. I know. I know. That's why I was like, this one comment is everything. My next story. Britney Spears is writing a book. Mm-hmm. So we know a lot about uh, the Spearses and the book game. We did a whole episode about Jamie Lynn and uh, her book, which is called The Things I Should Have Said. So according to page six, Britney has signed a $15 million book deal for her tell-all memoir that will be published by Simon and Schuster. That's all we kind of know right now, except for that the deal is one of the biggest of all time behind the Obamas, who both of them signed a deal with the same publishing company, and um, that was for $60 million. So hers is 15 oh, mil, um, which is still a fucking shit ton of shit money. Shit ton of money. Um, I reckon she should call the book things I should have said. Like, I, I'm yes. just like, Brittany, That would be the best PR strategy. Imagine yeah. her inbox or her agent's inbox after Jamie's book came out. There would have been so many book companies just being like, you know, do your counter book, do your counter book with us. They'll be like, I know. There would have been so many big negotiations. I mean, it's like, this is funny. Shit you should care about. We get people wanting us to write a book. Like, every month, a new person, all the same people come to us wanting us to write a book. And that is so flattering. That is so wonderful. It's so lovely and, like, so fucking cool. But it's also like, what What are we we going to write about? What are we going to put in a book? We've already said everything we think on mic. I know. So, um... Anyway, keep your eyes peeled for a few Starts yelling. Starts yelling about opportunities that we're getting. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) fucking woe is me. Someone wants us to write a book. No, we're very, very grateful, but I just think a book's not really on the cards. Or just uh, give the deal to people that have studied it. Absolutely. Now, 
I think this is nice that Britney's getting to tell all and she's getting a $15 million payout yeah, for it. I think like, it's pretty nice. I on. mean, yep, they, Jamie Lynn started that whole thing. So, yeah. Um, Britney gets to go finish for it. it. Mm-hmm. My next story, Amanda Bynes files to end conservatorship. She believes her condition is improved, says her lawyer. So Amanda Bynes is seeking to end her nearly nine-year-long conservatorship. And this is interesting. Um, I'll get to it in a second, like how different her conservatorship Mm -hmm. is to Britney's. So Amanda Bynes was first placed under a conservatorship in 2013 after like a bunch of legal issues and a what looks to be in a mental health crisis. In 2012, she was charged with driving under the influence after allegedly, um, like, crashing into a deputy, a sheriff's deputy cruiser in Hollywood. The next uh, year, she was arrested in New York City after police said they caught her throwing a bong out the window of her apartment. And then in July of 2013, she was involuntarily hospitalized after she set uh, fire to like the driveway of a home. So she was obviously going through some things. It was during that involuntary hospital stay that her parents petitioned for the court to place her under a conservatorship, saying that um, she had a substance abuse problem and had actually grown extremely paranoid. And I do remember watching Amanda Bynes on social media at this time, and it was like... Like, very worrying. It was super, super worrying. So Amanda's mother, Lynn, she was named temp temporary conservator of um, Amanda's finances and her personal life and then she was reappointed to be her daughter's conservator conservator in 2014. She's served that role ever since. In 2017, Amanda Bynes did regain like control over her finances and her assets, but her mother remained in charge of all like personal decisions that involved her health care. Okay. So she had a conservator in terms of like just making sure she was, she was getting going the to help appointments she needed. and going to therapy and whatever. Yeah. Um, but she was back in control of her finances. And a few days ago, uh, her lawyer told People magazine that Amanda wishes to terminate her conservatorship. She believes her condition is improved and protection of the court is no longer necessary. The difference here is that um, the difference between her conservatorship and Britney Spears' one here is that her parents are fully supportive of it ending. Like, her parents are like, yeah, she doesn't need to be under it They're anymore. wanting the best for her. Yeah. Um, apparently that, like, the end to this conservatorship has been underway for years and the lawyer did want to make clear that this is not because of Britney, Britney's sort of free Britney movement, like Amanda it's Bynes. It's not for media publicity. Yes, it's a different thing um, completely. And Amanda Bynes has always had a really strong relationship with her mother and father. There uh-huh. was a point where she was saying some things about her father um, that she then came back and were like, no, these weren't true. And she was obviously having an episode of some sort, whether it was drug-related or mental health-related. So, I mean, there are reports of a bit of a rift in relationships, but it has been stated that she's always kept a really close relationship with her family, unlike Britney Spears. And so now... It seems like her wanting to end her conservatorship and it being supported by her family and her actually having control over her finances and stuff already, it just seems like she's wanting to take that last step to independence 
And I think that's nice, especially for her parents. Her mum's the conservative. Totally. She's and I think it's also nice to hear of a conservatorship that is so different to Britney's yes. and kind of showing how it's meant to be used because yes. obviously that is a place for it and they're not trying to exploit her. So Exactly. Yeah. Like all we ever hear about is conservatorships being abused and so we have this like Totally or like what? the first time we've ever the first time we'd ever heard of a conservatorship was through Britney. Britney. Exactly. So it's like, it's good for us to understand yeah. that there is a time and place for them. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually such a good point, showing us what they can do. So, look, that is my uh, naughty or nice this week. And look, before we get into the death or non-death of the rom-com, I think we should hear from our sponsors. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Liv, guess what we're watching tonight? Lucy, as if I have to guess, it is the season final of Euphoria. I'm so fucking excited. Me and Liv are literally having a watch party tonight for it. Watch party being like sit around, have wine and just dissect it all. I'm so pumped. I am so excited. I'm going to have to try and find something else to fill the void because I know I'm going to, you know, when something ends and you're just like, oh, that sucks. I know. I might be rewatching it. Or um, actually, a listener reached out and told us that like all the Barbie movies are actually on Neon. So I'm like, look, maybe I'll be going back and watching the Barbie movies. It feels like something nice and light. Uh, That's true. Nostalgic. nostalgic. Very, very nostalgic. And of course, the movie The Fallout is coming to sick. Coming to Neon soon. And some of our old favorites like Gossip Girl and The Sex Life of College Girls. Something I really like. Yeah, same. I love both of them. Anyway, team, Neon is our favourite New Zealand-based streaming service and the reason that Culture Vulture exists. You know this. It most definitely is loose and you can get a 14-day free trial to catch up on Euphoria or watch whatever the fuck else your heart desires. Love you, Neon. So the other day, Lucy and I went and watched the first rom-com in the movie theatre that we have watched in literally, I feel like, years. I think years as well. I was trying to remember the last one I saw it. I, it was probably La La Land. I theaters. think it was La La Land. That was like 2016. Fuck. Yeah. So we watched Marry Me, J-Lo, Owen Wilson. It was everything we expected. Nothing less, but nothing more. No. It was everything everyone expected. It was this wild phenomenon of, like, every single trope. Like, it was technically shocking. Writing was shocking. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. shit. It was tacky. The music Very tacky. sucked. J-Lo was great. J-Lo was J-Lo amazing. j was natural. She, yeah, fantastic. Know. Owen Wilson, strange choice. Strange choice, but sort Casting, of but then also, like, bliss. Um, but as I'm bagging on it, I loved it. Literally. Like, like it was so... Good for it was exactly what I needed. I was bopping along to the songs. Like I knew in, in <laughs> no, half my Lucy brain. was bopping. No. <laughs> Literally, I just kept turning over to her. And like she had this crazy <laughs> smile on her face and just was like already like mouthing the words. I'm like, you don't know this song. No. <laughs> and it's funny because the things to grab my attention is not 
easy. Like for me to be able to focus on one thing at once, especially something long, like that was how I knew like this is actually good. But it was mm. like half of our brains were like, we have made some video stuff before. We always talk about it. We write about it, whatever. We know that technically this is not a good thing. But then uh, the other half of our brains was like, yeah, but if I'm enjoying it, if I'm sitting here having a good time and escaping, then it is a good thing. So For maybe sure. it's just like... It's like lowbrow. I mean... But it gave you that feeling that we've kind of all been missing for a while of that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling. And it's just so much more fun not to be a snob and be like, I know that technically it's not that good, but I still liked it. Totally. And like, I mean, so, so sugary, this one, like very sugary. But yeah, I think like I came out of that movie theater and I was like, hey, like that wasn't a waste of my time. No, like it was a fun time. And then uh, me and Liv were talking about like, but when do you think was, like, the last technically and, like, you know, you loved it while you were watching it, like, good rom-com? Yeah, I know. And it is hard to think. When I looked at Marry Me on Rotten Tomatoes, it had a 92% audience score, which I think shocking. is pretty shocking. But it's, you know, telling us that we are all craving yes. a little bit of sugar right now. I mean with everything going on in the world. 92% though. 92%. I mean, that's not like the critic score, but that's the audience yeah. score. So people are yeah. really liking this movie. So it was interesting to think of like the kind of, I don't know, rom-com evolution throughout yeah. our lifetime and how we've gotten here. Yeah. So the modern day rom-com actually has its roots in Shakespeare, right? Like it's all kind of based Gosh. on Shakespeare. Experian plays, um, but they used to define Hollywood. Like when we were kids, loose, like that was the era. That yeah. was the golden age, like the late nineties. And it was amazing because when we were kids, we had all those late nineties ones yes. that we could watch, and then we had new ones coming out that we could watch, and they were all like real fucking good. Yeah, we were in the midst of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like we had our parents' nostalgia. Yeah, but we also had like modern day stuff that was actually fucking great yes so you know my parents were english my childhood was filled of like love actually four weddings and a funeral notting hill bridget jones diary i actually remember like being a kid and i don't know how old i was pretty young and mum wanted to watch bridget jones on tv so she was like you have to go to bed it's too raunchy oh my god i remember, i have such a vivid memory of it i have a vivid memory of my mum being like do you want to watch this with me and me being like yeah, the two different households. I <laughs> However, I do think something that's really interesting, and I was thinking about this mm-hmm. when I was writing down my favourite rom-coms, mm-hmm. is that most of mine are American, mm-hmm. whereas most of yours are probably British. I literally had written in my notes, Lucy, yours would probably be the American counterparts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Because my God. that's how we work. So should we run through some of our favourite ones? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, so those are kind of mine. All of the English, you know, classics. I love a bit of Hugh Grant. Love a bit of Julia Roberts. Love a bit of Kate Winslet. I love The Holiday. Yeah. You loved um, La La Land as I well. I loved La La Oh, my God. Actually, one of my all-time favourite movies. Yeah. Loved La La Land. Okay. I know that's not English, but... It'll be interesting to see the ones that you love that I also love. Totally. I sat there and was like, fuck, what did I like? So obviously... There are a few British ones in here, but Bridget Jones's Diary, oh. I just, honestly. Yeah, it's it, my go-to comfort yeah, show. Same, yeah. all three of them. Yes. And, like, 
I don't know if we want to talk about this now or not, but there is like my favourite tweet of all time that says, I can't believe the way we all saw Bridget Jones as unsuccessful and overweight and like all this shit. Totally. Okay, she had this amazing job as a producer on TV shows. She was not overweight in any sense of the word. She had two, sometimes three, gorgeous men after her. Not that that validates you, besties, but like she did. How the hell did we see her as unsuccessful? I don't know. I think it's because she was a little bit silly. Like, yeah. she was just a little bit regular. Yeah. And how like, dare someone how see dare someone, regular? someone be slightly regular? She's not even that regular. <laughs> no. I just think that's so funny. Oh, to look I agree. On. And we'll definitely get into this conversation a little deeper further down I the line. Wait. One of my like favorite, favorite, favorite ones is Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. I haven't seen that. It's a Lindsay Lohan one, and I don't know what it is about this, but I, like, watched it, like, 70 times. Mm -hmm. Like, I just fucking love it. Yeah. In that vein is Freaky Friday. Oh, Freaky Friday. I, yeah, I adored Freaky Friday. So, if you like Freaky Friday, then you'll love Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Holy fuck, I will watch it with you. It's the best. Amazing. Another one for the list. Another one for the list. And, and... The thing, I think the th- reason that we love these so hard compared to ones we watch now is that we would also go to the DVD store and like get them out. Oh, and so there was totally. so much more to it. Um, I loved all the Amanda Bynes rom-coms, all of them. I loved Trainwreck with Amy Schumer. Yep. Okay. I actually uh-huh. loved that. And I loved, obviously, Pretty Woman, La La yeah. Land, Clueless. Clueless, Clueless. Fucking classic. 13 Going on 30, yes. 10 Things I Hate About You. Okay, I... Oh, I love The Princess Diaries. The Princess Diaries, fantastic. When I got my appendix out, the only thing I wanted to watch, Princess Diaries, Princess Diaries. And then the last ones that I wanted to mention, but I actually don't think are rom-coms. Like, all the John Hughes movies, like um, The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and um, Sixteen Candles. But they're less, like, rom-coms and more, like, coming of age. Yeah, coming of age. I think that was what was going on. Like, they're, like, 80s movies, right? Like, in the 80s before we kind of got into the Bridget Jones and the Notting Hill, which were the the 90s. Yeah, it was, like, the rise of the comedy rom-com. Yeah. And so I think those ones I love because I was obsessed with the Brat Pack for a while. Yes. Oh, my fucking God. Um, So... That's a small, like, taster. Also, obviously, Notting Hill and shit like that. Um, but so fucking I think good. I was definitely the more American ones. And the Mary yeah. Kate and Ashley ones, they were probably still more coming of age. Oh, yeah. See, I Gosh. never really watched that many, like, Mary Kate and Ashley, Lindsay Lohan, or Amanda Bynes. Like, none of that stuff mm. was really on my radar. I loved About Time. Never seen it. Yeah, you really need to watch it. Everyone actually in the newsletter was telling me to watch About yeah, Time. Yeah, well. also, like, Before Sunrise. And, um, when Harry met Sally, it's good. Those are old. Should ones. I even be fucking talking about rom coms when when Harry met Sally is like probably the one prior research watching? I Honestly, and um, you've got mail. I watched the other day, which is like, and they're both Nora Ephron. Oh, okay. Dolly Alderton's obsessed with Nora Ephron. She's basically she wrote Julie and Julia. All of those kind of like yes. feel good old school love movies. The girls on the bold type are obsessed with Nora Ephron mm-hmm. as well. I'll type, fuck, I miss that show. <laughs> anyway, that show not a rom-com, but sugary as hell. Not a rom-com, but yes. Anyway, basically, the evolution of the rom-com has been so interesting. I mean, we've just listed off a whole lot, but I want to kind of take you through a little bit of a timeline because then you can kind of see how they've evolved. Yeah. 
So we've got the 1990s stuff that we have just basically talked about, Four Weddings and a Funeral. We've got Notting Hill. We've got all of that. Lots of young Hugh Grant. Beautiful, beautiful young Hugh, Hugh Grant. And then... In the 2000s, we kind of came into movies like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That was a classic. Like the Matthew McConaughey, Kate Hudson. Which I would argue, no, I wouldn't even argue it. Just personally, Mm -hmm. I like less. Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson and stuff. Like, yes, they had some great famous as movies. None of them really made my list. No, I mean... I've definitely watched How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days a lot of times. Same. I love Kate Hudson. I love Bride Wars, her and Anne Hathaway. I loved Bride Wars. Loved Bride Wars. And then came the sort of Catherine Heigl era in 2007 with like 27 dresses, Life as We Know It, The Ugly Truth, Knocked Up. Like she was having a moment. She was, eh? Yeah, true. And then came like... 2010, Love and Other Drugs, Crazy Stupid Love, Bridesmaids, Silver Linings Playbook, like that sort of vibe, like Mm. the slightly more serious take Mm -hmm. on rom-coms. And was that the same era probably as like the Valentine's Day, the New Year's Eve? Yeah, I think. All those like let's get as many celebrities in here as possible. Fuck yes. New Year's Eve I liked. Valentine's Day Day? was pretty awful. Was that one as well? Mother's Day? I haven't seen it. No, maybe. You should make it though. Someone should fact check me on that, but we're going to keep it in because it's funny if I'm wrong. (laughs) And then I think off of the bat of Bridesmaids sort of came like the funny girl period with Trainwreck in 2015, Isn't It Romantic in 2019. That was a good movie. Rebel Wilson really had her moment. And Melissa McCarthy, they thrived yeah. in these. Fuck yes. And then 2018 was like Crazy Rich Asians, which was really good. Fuck yeah. And then kind of like we got into the era of Netflix original rom-coms with The Kissing Booth to All the Boys I've Loved Before, oh, The Holiday, which was really, oh really gosh. not good in any way, shape or form. Yeah, they've just really got shocking. Yes. Which so, is such a shame because they're so much more accessible when they're on Netflix and stuff. I know. Like quality. imagine if we had good quality movies and they were coming through Netflix. That would be amazing. So are rom-coms dying? This is the whole question. Like, we can see from that kind of evolution that they've really teetered off. The last, like, five, ten years have been pretty shocking for rom-coms. But have they always been dying? Or is it just that they're an ever-changing genre and we're just waiting for them to catch up with the times? I think it. I think it's the latter. Like, when I was doing, I like to sit here and um, have Liv teach me these like things when we have conversations like this so that I can like respond in real time but the little reading that I did on rom-coms I was seeing like the whole 2010s mm-hmm. so many opinion pieces about the rom-com dying and mm-hmm. then I, my like one the of my whole, only like, notes rom-com fatigue yeah. was like a huge thing yeah and I was like one of my only notes was have we just always been thinking that rom-coms are dying which means that they're not because we're always thinking about them we're always writing about them here we are talking about them and it is just I think that they're evolving but not to the way we want them to. No, not to the way we want them to and not fast enough. No. I think that there are, from what I could tell, three main reasons for like the kind of demise of the rom-com, which I think is leaving space for like this huge resurgence of them to sort of come, which is exciting. Uh Uh-huh. And I think one of the main fallings of the rom-com is that it's always sort of been based on boy meets girl and for some reason they can't be together. They go through obstacles and end up happily ever after. But diversity and inclusivity is nearly always neglected and people have become sick of saying 
of seeing the same storyline championing white, straight, cisgendered people. That's exactly when I was, again, listing my favourite ones. And I looked over to Liv and I said, I hope we're going to talk about this because, like, basically every single one that I listed was centred around a slim white woman who is looking for a dude. Oh, my God. Always. And it's always like if there is an independent woman there, it's always that she has this secret need Yeah, for someone. So true. Rom-coms are getting more diverse and mm-hmm. way more inclusive and they're showing way better stories, but it's come with this like move to streaming rather than blockbusters. So it's like they're always cheaper. Like that, We're getting sure. these wonderful casts. But at what cost? Like, at these cheap, shitty productions? Yeah, we'll definitely get to that later, Luce, because that's one of the main reasons that it is fully falling to the wayside. But the thing is, romantic comedies have changed with the times in the past. Like, through the 50s to the 70s saw a radical change within the romantic comedy. And this was that they entered into a sort of sexual realm. So the sexual liberation movement was in full force at this point in time and art and culture were pushed to reflect this. So it's interesting to see how they have, you know, kind of been through something like this before in terms of times changing, social ideologies changing, and they've had to change as well. So did they get a bit more sex positive and a bit more Totally, you know, or just even showing sex on screen, things like that, which was never done before. So people want to see diversity and authentic storytelling, and we no longer want to see this boring, usually like misogynistic sort Mm. of typecast Oh, even like body and slut shaming all throughout. Like if you think about your favorite romantic comedies, I mean, there's a whole lot of that going on. I mean, the movie Shallow Hell, where... um, I haven't seen that. Oh my God. The movie with um, Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow, and essentially Jack Black is like, he's seeing Gwyneth Paltrow as this gorgeous, skinny, like blonde girl, but actually she's overweight and she can't believe that someone's seeing her like for her. And it's all about like, he can't see that she's actually overweight and everyone around them can. So they're all like, what are you doing with this woman? And he's like, wow, she's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. It's the most fucked up movie. You know, that's so misogynistic in terms of he can look however he wants to look and she can't. Especially with Jack Black, who's just like a regular looking guy. So he can't go for a regular looking girl. Like he's allowed to look how he wants to and she can't. Tell me that we've had a change from that or? I think we are starting to see a change, but we're also really starting to see a change in what people want to see. So the statistics of Love, Simon and Crazy Rich Asians really prove this. Love, Simon. Oh, my God. I fucking loved Love, Simon. Love, Simon. So, so good. So Crazy Rich Asians was the biggest box office success in the last 10 years for rom-coms. What year was that? That was 2018, I believe. So that was probably the last one I saw in theatres. Yes, same. And then Love, Simon, I think, which came out about the same time, which was the first studio rom-com ever about a gay teen. (laughs) Too little, too fucking light. And that brought in $66 million worldwide. So people want this shit. People want this shit. It's doing really well. People are sick of seeing the too shiny, the too sickening, the too unrelatable. We really want to see, you know, stories that reflect our own lives. Mm. I think this 
little excerpt from an article in Parade written by Jessica Saga sums this up. For context, she's talking about The Big Sick, which is a romantic comedy that came out in 2017. It's kind of about Indian culture. Mm -hmm. So she says that The Big Sick is an interesting example because it's such a personal movie drawn so specifically from Emily Gordon and Kamal Nanjiani's lives. As a result, I'm not sure its success can be replicated. Audiences aren't stupid and they can tell when something is inauthentic If there's any broader lesson I wish Hollywood would pull from the big sick is trusting talented writers, directors and actors to tell their stories without dumbing them down for mass appeal. It isn't just a smart creative decision, it tends to be a more lucrative one. Um, And then another example that she goes on to talk about is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Did you ever see this movie? I didn't watch it, but I have heard of it. Oh, I used to have it on video when I was little and would watch it all the time. It's so, so good. Um, But that was the highest grossing American romantic comedy ever. Wow. And was written by its star and was based on her actual experiences of marrying a non-Greek man. So it just shows that, like, audiences are really savvy. Um, and, and it's something that we've talked about time and time again totally, on this podcast. Exactly. Just people want to see real stories. And if you're writing real stories, then you should have people in the room that have lived those stories. For sure. People can tell. Yeah. So, And it makes for such a richer, more fulfilling, like just better experience. Oh my God, just so much better. Like I was saying to Lucy the other day, you know when you're reading a book and you're reading something that you have been through – and you know that the author hasn't because they're just not getting it. Like, yeah. this is how so many people feel watching watching romantic comedies. Yeah, and, like, it's fine for an author to write about things that they haven't experienced if they've been informed properly. Like, we'll never have fiction if, some, if you mm. can't write about something that you haven't experienced. But it's so true. Like, you can tell... If you've been through something, and and people experience things in different ways, but you can tell when it's inauthentic and it hasn't been informed properly. But then I guess there's the question of, like, then why, if we know all this, then why do we keep making and seeing this shit rom-com? It's the thing, because they're too scared to take a chance. It's not even a fucking chance. The stats are there to show it. Well, but then, is it that they're too scared or is it that they can make more money doing what they know is going to do? This is the thing. And so this is the second point as to why rom-coms have sort of gone down the toilet. And it's because of the rise of the superhero movie. So basically, major studio-wide release of superhero movies went from three in 2010 to a high of eight in 2014 and then five in 2017. So they're really, you know, getting big. Whereas rom-coms were at a high of nine in 2010 zero in 2017. So this is the amount of those sorts of movies released into theatres on that current year. So superhero movies are currently much more profitable than rom-coms and they also make a lot more money overseas. Um, The following is a quote from Parade. So while rom-coms typically make money, they don't make Marvel-sized money, a problem in Hollywood increasingly fixated on home runs instead of base hits and willing to accept costly strikeouts in the pursuit of those billion-dollar grosses. And there's obviously a bunch of factors that come into mm-hmm. this. Like, first of all, the most obvious is COVID-19 and mm. the fact that most things pivoted to streaming or released on streaming, whereas, like, superhero movies in particular this year have been fucking massive because they can be back in theatres. And then there's also, like, you don't rally a fandom around a rom-com. A fandom rallies around a superhero movie. So, of course, totally. you're going to get this insane, like, 
outpouring of love in a um, actual cinema. Yeah, and because they can carry that the saga on, whereas yes. with rom-coms they're kind of like one-off hits, right? Yes, which does not mean that you shouldn't do like rom-coms or you shouldn't do them well, but I'm just like, I totally see it. Such a good point, Liv. And because events are created around the release of superhero movies and shit, Events aren't really created around rom-coms, so it's so much easier to be like, let's make this on a lower budget for a streaming service. For sure. Damn, that's a good point, Liz. I know. And also a lot of sort of rom-coms are now more migrating to TV shows, things like Insecure or like The Sex Life of College Girls, things like that. It's now, I don't know whether it's because of the pandemic and we're at home more, so we sort of... We want more like episode by episode things that we can binge. Yeah, or just the just the rise of streaming service and then and then people's attention spans yeah. sucking and maybe being like, well, look, instead of a two hour one, we'll just cut it into half hour slots. Yeah, for sure. So we're seeing you know a kind of resurgence of rom com TV shows, which is so, I mean, it's quite cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool, but I'm just still stuck on the um, like it makes so much sense now. But um, we're just not seeing that many rom-coms actually in theatres. Not And of course all. we're not when there are more lucrative options in, like, these superhero movies. Don't get me wrong. I fucking love Spider-Man. I went <laughs> to the theatre on my own to watch Spider-Man. And, like, I wouldn't go to a theatre on my own to watch a rom-com. Fair. So, and that, so that says a lot. Mm. For sure. And then the last reason as to why the rom-coms, you know, they're not doing so well is it's the question like, are we falling out of love with love as a generation? And great question. I don't know. This one is something that I don't really know where I sit with it. I just feel like when we were kids, rom-coms really did shape like our ideas around what it was you know, like to be in a relationship or how you might want to be in a relationship, who you want to be in a relationship with. And so it was like romanticized in a very unrealistic way. And I think our generation has had to unlearn so much of, so many of those wants and beliefs. And I'm sort of wondering if we've become really cynical about love in the process, or is it that we're just becoming more realistic, clued up and savvy about how we should be treated in relationships? And I think, like, let's have a chat about that because I think they come hand in hand. Like, you can't even blame us for having all these unrealistic things being fed to us as Uh -uh. kids. Then having to go and be like, oh, that's not real. That's not real. We've been fed a lie. Same with, like, Disney prince and princesses. Like, Prince Charming is a lie. And then so obviously in that learning of it being a lie, we've become cynical because we're like... because we're like, well, what else is a lie? Yeah, what else is a lie or, like... I don't know what reality is because I've only seen this in the media and I've only seen this Totally. Whereas probably, I mean, in a kind of optimistic lens, the reality is probably better than what we've been fed because it's so two-dimensional what we've been fed. Whereas, like, you get to actually, you know, have relationships with real flawed people. But because we're not fed reality, unless it's reality TV, which is still not reality. So it's like we don't have... We don't have another thing to look at. We only have the bad thing. And then we're like in this limbo of like, well, we can't see the good thing. Totally. Because I think we're waiting for like our generation to come in and be screenwriters and stuff for these TV shows so that we can give our perspective on love and things like that. That is probably hopefully more realistic because we've sort of learned a lot of what not to do. Think about what we get though. We get like... The Tinder Swindler, yeah. Love Island, like all, like 
married at first sight. Like all these things that are like either Love Island married at first sight. Uh-huh. These people have failed at love in their own lives. So let's get them on a reality TV show and like see and if a they social find love. experiment. Social experiment. Or Tinder Swindler vibe things. Like they just get fucked over in a new way. Genuinely. And then the whole thing about dating apps and how, you know, people no longer have as many meet cues as they used to, and, which is oh. the whole basis of a rom com. And I really want to know what you think of this paragraph because this is the first paragraph of a piece in the Michigan Daily. It's an opinion piece about the death of rom-coms written by Gabby Rivers. Um, And she says this, Today, the opportunity for love exists within the endless swipe, a long list of eligible bachelors held in the endless 5.78 times 2.82 inch catalogue, also known as a smartphone. In romantic comedies, they show us stories of people who could not figure out their true feelings yet went through hell and back to make it work. But with today's ease of finding a new option, why go through that? Why run through the rain drenched head to toe when you can swipe on Tinder? Why drive to their house and play music from a boombox out of your open computer? Convertible when you could post a Snapchat. Staging a flash mob in the middle of a busy street? No, send a direct message. And there you have a new sneaky link thing or situationship now in the palm of your hands. And if that one doesn't work out, you're part of the 84% of 18 to 29 year olds who use social media. You can simply open it again and go to the next option. So cynical, but so, so true. So do you think that's true, though? I think, I don't know, this might be me being a romantic, but I think she's underestimating how much people hate dating apps. I think she's I, I think she's being realistic, realistic in terms of, yeah. like, even when we still see rom-coms, we're not seeing rom-coms about dating apps. We're still seeing And if we do, shit. they're horrific. I know. Like, they're so, so tacky. I think she's, I mean, I'm not really a romantic, and I also don't use dating apps, so I'm, I'm sort of like, I can see how people are feeling like this because we're also lazy like we also we are, are so used to things coming to us and being delivered to us and at the push of a button so in my head it's like if we're lazy about all of that makes sense for me that we're lazy about like romance but also maybe um i am not giving people the benefit of the doubt to know what it's like to fall in love and yeah. want to do all the big gestures yeah i think that like because when i just said i agreed with you that we we're lazy but now i actually think about it like i don't even know if it's laziness. I think we've just lost the confidence or the ability to like go out and do those things a lot of the time. I also think majority of people on dating apps hate the fact that they're on a dating app and would much rather meet someone in real life. But it has come to the thing where it's like, we just have this in our head that it no longer happens. Yeah. And that dating apps are just obviously much more accessible. It's sort of been socialized into our age group to yeah. use them. Like, I don't know if most people using them hate them. I don't know if, like, I no, agree on that. Yeah, like, and I'm sure, like, a lot of people, I think people that want to be in a relationship probably don't like them. Like, they're probably yeah. good for hookups or whatever. Yeah. But it's just, it sucks when we have seen, like, you know, our parents would be set up on blind dates or, like, talk to each other on the phone or write letters or whatever, and it's like, oh, my God, we just don't have that. We just don't have that, but and it's it, just all been gamified. It, everything's been gamified, and meeting people in the wild feels like a foreign concept, mm-hmm. which, again, if we're taking it back to the death of rom-coms, like... I'm not surprised that many people in the wild has become a foreign concept because we've just been fed these really, really, like, right? romanticised 
I don't know, once in a lifetime things, but over and over again. So we don't think it's once in a lifetime. Totally. So you think not. every time you go into a coffee shop, like someone will catch your eye or oh my whatever. God. You think if you're carrying like... a book around with your tote bag and looking mysterious, someone's going <laughs> to yeah. come over to you and be like, be like oh, let me, let me help you with that. Like, yeah. no. And like, if someone did that to me, I'd be like, please don't. Like, I know. Get away. But so I have, I, yeah, I agree with that while hoping that humanity is better than that. Yeah. I agree with that um, statement. But it is very cynical. Okay, I wouldn't enough. have written it because I don't think I care that much about relationships. But yeah. I wish that people yeah. wouldn't. I think it just made me sad reading oh, that. Yeah, I know. But I don't know whether I'm just. I also haven't sat with it for very long. And on first, on first listening, I am almost giving snaps to that person yeah. for writing it. I mean, great paragraph, like written wise, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But um, all this to say, if you're thinking, uh, if anyone from Netflix or HBO, whatever, is thinking about writing a rom-com or, like, putting one on one of these streaming platforms, maybe just, like, make sure that it's not real cringe. And, yeah, like, just make it actually good. Like, people don't want it to be super sweet. Or Give maybe, it a bit of grit. Maybe we should start a movement where we all go to cinemas to watch every rom-com so then they start putting them all back there because we're like, there is the fandom behind True. it. Power of the people. Power of the people. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, I just think it's, you know, we're in this limbo. There's a space for it. Someone's going to come in and, and do something real good. Yeah, but there's we've just got to wait. There's so, they so just much need room. Some, they just need some money to put in theatres, don't they? Absolutely. Right, Liv. Well... Except for a really good new rom-com that's going to just blow the socks off all of us in theatres. What is on your radar this week? Okay, well, obviously the last episode of Euphoria. Obviously, me too. like forefront of my mind at all times today. But also there's another show on Neon called Landscapers. Oh, and it's got Olivia Coleman in it. Okay. Um, and it's got the guy, you weren't a Harry Potter fan anyway, he played, for those of you who are, he played Lupin in Harry Potter. It's a true crime black comedy drama, um, which is based on the true story of the 1998 murders of William and Patricia Y. Trilly. So it looks... I don't. I haven't even seen the trailer. I saw it on Neon. I saw Olivia Coleman. I think anything that she's in, I'm going to be intrigued by. Just seems, yeah. I love it when things are based off of true stories. Yeah, I know. I'm not actually. Nah, I'm not really a fan of true crime. Like, I'm not really into that. But it I'm is not huge. usually either. But I think it gives me like broad church vibes, mm. and I love that. Broad church. Um. Anyway, Luce, what's yours? What's uh, on your radar? Oh well, obviously, again, Euphoria. The Yay documentary, because we've got a two-part series coming up on Yay, which I'm really excited to sink my teeth into. Um, Severance, which a lot of people have been talking about. One of my flatmates has just started watching it. I can't give you a spiel on what it's about because I don't really know. I've just been seeing lots of commentary about how it's fucking good. So if I get time, I'll watch that. And then Rex Orange County has a new album coming out uh, early March called Who Cares? And I do. I want to watch it. yes. So that's on my radar. Liv, I am ready to go and, um, to be honest, I want to go and watch, no, I want to go and watch Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. <gasps> Best show ever. Um, but before I go, we will say thank you to, one, our wonderful sponsors, Neon, two, our wonderful producer, Tiahe Butler, legends of all legends, three, all of you for listening, and four, co-host Olivia. And five, Lucy. I was about to say your last name. We don't do that here. No, we're not professional like that. We're not professional. Also, subscribe to the newsletter and stay safe out there, everyone. Love you. Bye. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.